This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Last week, Salesforce released its State of Marketing report, and we wanted to dive deep into some of the insights it held. To do that, we called our friend Jamie Moldavsky, the CMO of Wells Fargo, who joined us to break down some of the key points of that report and how the findings may have shifted due to the COVID-19 pandemic that has affected industries around the world. Jamie talked about budget, innovation, engaging with customers, and how all of those areas have been impacted in these extraordinary times. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have a special episode and an extra special guest, a repeat guest. Jamie, what's going on? (laughs) How you doing? Everything is great. Happy to be back. Always new and interesting things happening in the marketing world. So nice to be able to get together and talk about them. Yeah. Well, when we had you on last time, I think that was about 10 or 12 years ago at this point because uh, it was pre-COVID and we wanted to have you back to talk about uh, kind of the state of affairs as you see them with some of the things that you've been dealing with as as a CMO. But also we want to talk about something really cool that our good friends at Salesforce have just come out with, which is the sixth edition of uh, state of marketing. So they did insights and trends from 7,000 senior marketers. Um, and this was pre-COVID. So it's actually a really fascinating look. We'll put the link in the show notes here for our listeners to check it out, um, you know, about priorities and challenges and metrics and all this stuff. So it's a fascinating snapshot in time right before this. So we'll talk a little bit about that and uh, kind of some of the things that you see. And then we'll also talk about, obviously, how this is all shaped by COVID. The first thing that I wanted to ask about is, as always, the biggest thing uh, that marketers deal with, which is budget. Um, so I'm just curious, you know, what? how has budget changed for you? We had our, you know, in Q1, I would say, heading the first two months of Q1, as many businesses, by the way, had a really strong Q1 uh, going into March. So our businesses were very strong. We had very aggressive marketing plans and budget against, you know, continuing to support our customers and deepen relationships and acquisition, uh, much as you would expect, especially in the first quarter of a year. Um, So what changed abruptly, obviously, in kind of mid-March is that there was a lot of our marketing that we put an immediate halt to. And, And we really bucketed into a couple of areas. One was, you know, this is just completely not relevant anymore. Another was it's relevant, but the context has changed. Therefore, some of the creative needs to change or some of the messaging needs to change. Um, and then the third was we created a, an entire new set of communications that needed to be executed. So it's really interesting because we stopped a lot of work, but in the absence of that work, we filled up a lot of new work because there was a tremendous amount of communication needed, uh, for, especially for Wells Fargo as a financial institution, uh, in communicating with our customers. When you think about uh, the financial condition of their portfolios, whether they were wealthy and were affected by the market swing, or whether they were someone who was worried about making a mortgage payment, we suddenly had literally, um, I think, 220 plus marketing campaigns 
that we executed over the past 10 weeks to our customers. And that, that some were segmented, some were mass. Wow. And so what was interesting is our budget really swapped out in real time uh, for a very different set of needs. So now is really that reconciliation to your question about budget, which is really more about as we go forward, what does a new normal look like for 2020 if there is one? And what I would tell you is I think right now we're mostly holding our budget flat. Um, some areas will be down and some will be up. And so what we've seen is the need to communicate isn't necessarily lessened, but it has changed in terms of the content. You know, so in in this uh, in the state of marketing report, uh, top three priorities. And again, this is pre-COVID. Innovating, complying with privacy regulations, and engaging customers in real time. Um, I, I thought that that was fascinating because I feel like if you had redid those priorities uh, and asked them now, I feel like innovating perhaps would not crack the top ten, uh, which is which is yeah. wild, right? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting you say that because we. I totally agree. And when I read this, I was really intrigued by, I think, first of all, engaging with customers in real time, to your point, is probably the single most important thing that we can do right now. Absolutely. And it really is because, and I know there's another dimension of this, which is about service, but there's huge demand for content that's relevant. And not just content for content's sake, but for people being able to seek out and engage in what they need when they need it, especially when you think of how many people are home on their devices, right? Um, and have that immediacy of everything else they're doing, which is everything is at a fingertip. And that's what they really are wanting and expecting from their, you know, the, the companies that they interact with. And so I agree with you. And the way we're thinking about innovating is not that it's to your point less important, but that it's the relativity of how much focus we put on it, given the, the real time nature of kind of the crisis that we're in. Um, definitely has changed. Um, and the other one I would comment on is the creating this cohesive customer journey, which I know is another one that popped up, is I completely agree. It kind of goes hand in hand with the engaging, but we're really seeing that because people are on so many devices right now at the same time, that's more important than ever. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And uh, and I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's a loaded word to even say engaging with customers in real time because that... Um, that is so hyper specific to all the different, you know, just in time things that people need. I mean, the, you know, there's a great, um, a great definition, which I love of innovation, uh, that Eric Reese uses who wrote lean startup, which is innovation is the speed in which an idea can get from like any point in the organization all the way to the top, like looked at and then sent back down. Um, and I feel like, if, if you were going to do a similar sort of thing for engagement, it's like, how quickly can feedback from customers get to the top and yeah. then, you know, yeah. back down, right? Well, let me give you a real life example, because there's something that we did. And it's interesting to this point of innovation and the definition you just gave, that in some ways for the right innovation, this environment makes it much easier, right? Because in a crisis, like never waste a good crisis, Right. There are just things that become so important that if you have a new and better way to do them, there's a huge receptivity. And so to your point about, you know, a direct line from the customer to the CEO, we have social media has played an incredibly critical role for us in how we have both um, gathered feedback from our customers as well as how we have communicated with our customers because it is so real time. And so we were learning things and hearing things real time very early on and started to take those cues and then we turn them into what became a, a, a 
question and answer campaign that we've been running in digital and social, which takes the questions that we're seeing and hearing through both our own channels, like call centers and um, online chat, but also through social media. We're taking all of those questions and turning them very quickly into like a Q&A campaign where we can then answer the question and then drive people to the relevant landing page, whether it's on us or off us, uh, for additional information. And it's a great example where we stood that up very quickly because we realized that there was a tremendous gap in our ability to provide answers in a more dynamic way. And yet we were hearing so much from the customer about what was on their mind that we had to really quickly. So we literally stood up an everyday meeting, you know, a very agile approach to being able to harness what we were hearing and turn it back into solutions and content. Um, and we weren't doing that before. I mean, we didn't operate quite in that much of a real-time mode uh, in that way. And so it was really innovation for us and came very quickly because it met a very urgent need among our customers. And so what, is the been, what has been the feedback after that? Uh, very positive. I mean, both on, two, on a couple levels. And, and this is interesting. Initially, people said, well, whoa, we don't want to drive more calls, right? So you might think if you start engaging with customers in some of these thorny questions, because some of the questions were things like, how do I know if I'm going to get uh, a check, right, from the government? Well, that's a thorny question because we don't control that. Uh, but what we agreed is that if we did this right, it would, it would reduce call volume because you'd be able to take the, the most burning questions and answer them clearly, succinctly, and simply. And that was part of the appeal of digital and social is that you have to really be extremely right, um, judicious about the content. Uh, and, then, and in so doing, we would, in essence, reduce call volume, which is what we did. And so we were able to actually take, and we still are. I mean, we're still running this, that we're still able to take kind of the most top-of-mind questions or concerns that customers have um, and, and drive them into the landing page that's most relevant if they need to. And so what we've been able to measure is obviously the engagement with the content, but also the numbers and percentages that are going to the landing page where we then can understand where we have needs to continue to deepen the content as necessary. So it's been great. I mean, we're, we're still early into it, um, but I think it's been exciting to see um, how much of even of our the businesses within our company have asked if they can participate, right? So they want to be part of how, you know, how can we get one of the questions or one of the answers, right? And we've tried to make it clear that we're really prioritizing based on customer needs, uh, but it's been a really, so far it's been a great experience. And again, that we challenged ourselves to make it really clear and simple uh, because what we were hearing was that is what customers wanted, right? They were overwhelmed with there's so much, like PPP is a great example. Like if, I, if I'm a oh small business and I want to apply, how do I do it, right? I mean, I still don't know the answer to that. I've been looking at this for two months. <laughs> <laughs> it's like crazy. Um, yeah. It's just so challenging. I mean, it's, it's well, it's yeah. also like, I think that there's so much misinformation out there that it's like you really expect to go to, you know, Wells Fargo and get the answer, right? So it's not just about like, like you said, it's not creating content for content's sake. It's about being right. <laughs> it's about being correct. And a lot of times exactly. in marketing, we're you know, no, we're not talking in truths. We're talking like ideas and hypotheticals and all sorts of things. Yeah. Well, here's another example, because I think it's helpful to kind of real time. How, how does this work? Uh, as many companies, right, we had media that we had committed to and we pulled obviously a significant amount of our content because uh, it really was off topic and wasn't relevant. And so we did have that moment of do we do we decide to do any, you know, broad media or not? And if so, what does that look like? And so we did create a, a 30 second commercial called here to help. And then we have 15 second um, also in digital. 
but when we sat down to do it, we said, you know, we don't want to just do another, I mean, you can, but we didn't really want to just do another brand ad, you know, that just said, Hey, you know, thank you to our heroes. And while we knew that that was helpful and important, we felt like there was something more important that people wanted from us as a financial institution, which was to really know what are you doing? And so we did some quick research, like very quick in the field, out of the field within a couple of days and said, what is it that people most want? And they wanted to know how we were helping. So they felt like they'd heard so many messages about we're here for you. We're in it together. We're all in this together. But from us, they wanted real clear specificity about what are you doing to help? And so when we crafted it, it was very much about how, you know, how many millions of customers we've waived fees for or how many millions of customers we've been able to help um, stay in their homes or how many um, nonprofits we've been able to help. And so it was much more about specifics about what we were doing versus uh, simply a statement that we were in this together. And again, part of this, and I know you and I chatted about this the last time we talked, is the listening to the customer has never been more important. And we, so I will say that in this crisis, I feel that we were set up for and really doubled down on listening to our customers. And as a result, I think that engaging with customers real time has been a little bit easier for us because we already had a lot of the listening tools in place and we were already really committed to hearing what they had to say. And I'm sure you're like I am, but if you check your email box, it's interesting to watch over the last eight weeks, how much it's changed and that, you know, retailers who I've done business with for a long time, initially it was still their regular communication about, Hey, you know, spring wardrobe is in and wouldn't you like, you know, these nice new high heel shoes and, I'm thinking I'm never going to even wear high heel shoes again when I'm working yeah. out of my house. But, but interestingly, now they've all shifted and now it's around clothes that are comfortable or, you know, the content has become much more relevant to the environment that we're in. And I felt that we were able to get a jump on that because we really were honed in on what the conversation was. So, you know, not perfect. Clearly there were things that uh, we would do differently, but I think a really good example of, of having to have all of those, uh, channels of communication open um, on an ongoing basis. What about challenges for you? Has there been, you know, in, in the survey, it said, you know, engaging with customers real time, innovating, and then creating the cohesive customer journeys. We talked about it a little bit already, but is that in line with the type of stuff that you see as a challenge uh, or, or in post-COVID, is it totally different? Yes. I think the one thing I would say is is really different is the nuances now of, it's funny because the the customer of one segment of one is always really sort of that personalized one-to-one communication, I think is always the ultimate goal. But I think interestingly, what's changed is I think during COVID customers more, more or as much at least want to also be part of a community. And part of that is being driven by the nature of how COVID has unfolded, which is on a very community and regional basis. And so one of the things that's been interesting for us is typically geography, it, other than for regulatory reasons, isn't necessarily something we really segment on the basis of, right? We do, we talked about our branches in certain states and we talk about some of our distribution that way. And, but as a way to talk to customers, usually talking to them about something in their geography isn't always the most important dimension, right? It's more about, you know, what, what lifestyle do they choose to live or what's important for them financially? And all of those are still true. But what we found is this geography overlay is so critical because yes, my individual case matters, but what also matters is I live in a state where things are happening that's different than somebody else's state. And therefore it's opening up faster or it's opening up slower. And therefore branches may open, we may have more branches or less branches. And 
What does that mean for how much people want to do their engagement with us digitally versus not? And so the, it's really interesting that the geography and that sense of community is creating a different kind of relevance than I had seen prior to that. And so I do think that, you know, certainly one-to-one across the customer, um, all of our channels and all of our devices continues to be really critical. But I do think there is sort of this, there are some other things at play now in terms of the way we segment and think about customers in, in different geographies or different stages even of where they are in terms of um, their sheltering in place or in terms of their emergence, because it affects them and their ability to live their life. And so when you think of things like credit card offers, they by necessity are probably going to be different in different states, depending on what's happening in that state. So there are states where people still can't go, you know, to Disneyland or to a restaurant, but there are other states where they can. And how does that start to change the way you market? So I don't think we have an answer on it yet. Um, Ian's still early days, but I've been, um, sort of very aware of how that dimension is very different than existed pre-COVID. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's an absolutely fascinating insight. Absolutely. I mean, it goes to like the importance of these like personalized journeys and like, you know, one-to-one as we were talking about is uh, if you want to feel really, really off-brand, right? Like market to somebody that is uh, in a state or a geographic location, um, you know, that, that is wrong. I mean, the, the thing that comes to mind for me is, you know, all these, all the folks out there who live in like beautiful vacation destinations that are sitting there like, please do not go on vacation to our city, which is the polar opposite of what they normally wanted. Right. Um, but at some point that's going to shift immediately back to wait, no, please now do come to where, where we live once, uh, you know, once this is all over, because, you know, the, the ramifications there of, of having more revenue, like what, I mean, who could have predicted that that type of, uh, you know, flipping a switch is going to be something that, you know, marketers have to respond to in real time. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. We've actually created uh, just in the last couple of weeks, a kind of a return to market playbook for marketing um, for marketers, because what we've recognized is to your, exactly to your point that as we re-enter markets and re-enter engaging with customers about certain products or solutions or types of conversation that the level of awareness of their situation, be it individual or again, collective in a state or in a region uh, is so critical. And so we've had to create, if you will, a playbook that will help the marketers with a lot about tone and a lot about context, because it's not that, you know, we won't still necessarily offer a certain solution. I mean, buying a home is a great example. People actually are still buying homes and still need mortgages. But we had an interesting experience because we were looking just for fun at some real estate at a, um, online and we had talked to a realtor who said, well, you know, there's no viewings. You have to be guaranteed. You have to have a qualified mortgage. And then it's by appointment only to go see the home. And many homes have restrictions on whether you can touch things. And my husband said, I'm not buying a house that I can't like touch the door handle <laughs> and see how solid the doors are or pull, right? Like, but we were talking about how much even being a homeowner, purchasing a home right now is different. And therefore, how do we, when we talk about mortgages, think differently about how we talk about the process of buying a home? And what can Wells Fargo do to help our customers uh, through that process and that journey? So really interesting, right, about how all of the context of what we're talking about has to influence the tone and the content. And some of that's personalized and some of that is um, you know, more at a segmented level or more generalized. But the amount of nuance and sensitivity, I think, is 
significantly higher than it was three months ago. Well, and a lot of this information really boils down to data. Um, you know, data is obviously a critical part of of the study. It's a critical growing part of every single marketer's uh, you know challenge set. Um, but these sort of things, like if you don't, if you're not inputting uh, the correct information into your into your data, like if you have a bunch of unstructured marketing data uh, and you have no idea where all of these people are in their pipeline, like you, you're at risk to sound really silly uh, and to turn people off. So I, I'm curious, like, what were your thoughts on uh, on you know how data is changing potentially? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think to your point, you know, real time, and it always has been, but kind of that knowledge of real time, and it's great, you gave a great example, and I, and I will share with you another good example that is PPP, and there are business, small businesses that either applied for loans or didn't, and either received loans or didn't, and knowing that before we engage in conversations about our other small business services is so important, and so part of this is just being really, as always with any I'd say my general philosophy of marketing is always know your customer in terms of what their need is, what their state of mind is, um, and be sure that whatever we're, we're engaging with them on meets that need, whether it's a known or unknown need to the customer. And I think to your point, data right now is the, has to be leveraged because otherwise it's so easy to be off the mark. And the, you know, the geography is a really good example of that, but also just the state of individuals there are a lot of cues out there. And so it's both internal data, first-party data, as well as third-party data. I think that um, a lot of what we know is that the, the providers out there have a lot of insight into what customers are doing and thinking and saying, and we have to harness that uh, before we engage in conversation. And I think that relevancy factor, I think brands will be judged on that to a much higher degree than even in a normal environment. I mean, People deal with a fair amount of, ah, they don't know me, whatever. It's not that big a deal. I think to your point, now missing the mark and seeming off, off message and off, you know, off in terms of content, I think it's a big risk for brands going forward because of that. Uh, because then it, in a time of crisis, that's so heightened, right? It's one thing if somebody doesn't exactly know who I am day to day, whatever. But when somebody doesn't know who I am, when there's a crisis going on and I need and expect certain things from that brand, I think the stakes are much higher. Well, you know, it's like my mom used to say, you know, uh, what do we do when we assume, right? Uh, uh, <laughs> so, but, but it's yeah. funny. So I have, uh, I have a friend who's a small business owner who did PPP. So they got a loan. They, um, they're back to work. But he was saying what's interesting is that their business, they're doing the same amount of deals, but the average deal size is like about cut in half. Um, so they have yeah. a ton of volume. They, you know, they had to make layoffs or trying to figure out how to get people back on the team. But they also now are trying to make an investment in data. And he had just reached out to me about like, hey, do you know a, a data engineer that is available for some part-time work? Like, isn't that such like the state of affairs, right? It's like of of the business owner that's trying to do deal with yeah. like three different major problems and try to say, like, hey, I want to lean forward, you know, to the future of what this looks like. Yeah. And I think that the shift to digital has really, you know, and people have said, if this is what it really took to get the world to adopt digital, that that's kind of surprising, but it's, but it is noted. I mean, people really now have gotten, like my husband is a, a chef and owns a food a restaurant business, which has had to close during this. And one of the things we talked about right away was if he were to reopen, what's the state of his list, right? How does he get in touch with his customers? What's the best way? Because people are all online now. And the, the idea of people walking through when they're shopping 
is a lot less likely to occur. And so I, I think you're, I think it's right that people, the need for data is going to be significantly greater and, and the ability to leverage that data um, is going to be such a strong, even more of a competitive advantage that it always has um, and probably more of a necessity to operate in business today. Yeah. And getting that, getting that information, you know, Hey, here's, here's a list of things that you can just, you know, click with, with take about 13 seconds and say like, here are the concerns that you have and we can share more information. Being able to, uh, to get that stuff is so critical. Final thing, I know you got to get out of here. Um, I just, you know, the team, um, the report talks about, yeah. uh, you know, upskilling and collaboration and professional development. One of the reasons why we created this podcast in the first place to get best practices. Uh, how, how do you think the team is changing? Yeah, well, clearly this is um, changing the nature of team, right? I think that uh, I will tell you, I actually think uh, it's been in, it's been very challenging, but in some ways it has been um, really good for the creation of new ways of working together. So I will tell you, I think that people value any and all engagement. They value Zoom calls more than you would think they would. They, um, they recognize the need to collaborate and to partner differently. The nature of wanting to participate and, and help is greater because people are more remote. And so we've seen these daily stand-up calls and this move to Agile, even though typically we think of Agile in a more physical group working together. Uh, we've seen that the desire to have collaboration tools and to work kind of more seamlessly has actually increased. And so there's some really interesting ways with team. I mean, we've created, we do, I do videos uh, for the team on a kind of biweekly-ish basis and people are loving that because it's a way to feel connected. And, you know, we never really did that before where we just sat in front of our iPhone and, and recorded messages, right? So it's changing the way we, I think, you know, people have shared, like, it's kind of the equivalent of having a TV host without his pants on because everybody is seeing everybody, right, for the first time, like, in their home and looking natural and being natural. And it's creating, I think, um, not only a different connection with each other, but that, that carries over into how we communicate with our customers. And I've noticed that the team has a heightened sense of integrity and empathy for how we engage with our customers because we're all going through this together. And so out of, I always, I'm a big optimist, so I do believe there's always a silver lining. But when I think about what makes for successful marketing organizations, I always say at the core of that is really this customer, um, the understanding and empathy and ability to connect with the customer is really what we're all about. And I do believe that in this time that that will transcend any crisis, but that there will be aspects of this crisis that actually will make us better at what we do. Jamie, you're the best. Thanks so much for joining us. Any final thoughts? Uh, no, thank you. This has been great to be with you as always. And uh, I guess we'll all carry on and I know we will all be better for it. So thanks for uh, making the time today. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you too. Take care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.